Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. Today, we are hanging out with Marcus Murphy. He is an entrepreneur and sales expert who cares deeply about the flourishing success of entrepreneurs. Marcus previously worked for Yelp, helped them go from startup to multi-billion dollar giant. He also worked at Infusionsoft and is currently uh, sitting on the advisory board of LinkedIn. More importantly, he's the head of partnerships and business development at Digital Marketer and their other portfolio companies. Marcus, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You know, for our audience that maybe isn't familiar with Digital Marketer, which is your current post, uh, and the fact that they have portfolio companies, get us kind of the high-level uh, view of who is Digital Marketer as a company, kind of paint us the picture of what that company is today. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, Digital Marketer has been around for some time now. It actually was started by our co-founders, Richard Linder and uh, Ryan Dice, uh, also Roland Frazier and Perry Belcher, um, who are less active, still principals, but less active in the company. And you know, what's really interesting. It's like funny looking back at that because, uh, you know, it was very direct response marketing kind of back in the day, like, hey, these guys sell stuff on this thing called the internet um, and they were doing pretty well with it. And, and it turned into not only um, this is what we're doing, but they ended up uh, making a very pivotal and important shift when they started to say, hey, we're building all these businesses online. We're taking all these properties. We're, we're using it to mo- we're monetizing it through products. Who wants to watch that journey? And, who's, and basically, a ton of people raise their hands. They're like, we want to watch the journey and we want to learn from you. And that's where kind of digital marketer really birthed its, uh, you know, kind of out of this this need for education on what they were doing that was making them successful. And they happen to be great and incredible educators. And I think that what was really interesting is that really was probably 10 years ago when those guys really got together. Um, but really, digital marketing didn't come around until like five years into that journey. And really, it birthed out of uh, the first ever Traffic and Conversion Summit, which is funny, you know, where we were talking about that digital, you know, Traffic and Conversion Summit, our, our major conferences. 10,000 people this year, which we're pumped about. But it started out as 250 people in a room listening to these guys talk about how they build their businesses. And that, that, was, you know, almost, that was almost 11 years ago. And so that kind of has been where all of our companies really you know, are, are kind of created out of is, is this vein of being like, all right, do we have something that we can solve a need. And then also in addition to that, the majority of them you know, revolve around kind of info products or uh, the ability to, to take that platform and teach others. And so really, you know, now we're looking at almost seven to eight companies under our portfolio and growing, uh, planning on launching a, not a lot more here in the, the new year. Uh, but Digital Marketer has been kind of the linchpin. It's been the, the cornerstone for all of that and the model we've used. And it's been, it's been a really good one. Yeah, man. So I, I've been with the company now for almost four years and we have grown exponentially in that time, but we've never lost that kind of foundational, I guess, passion for making sure that we're, that what we're putting out in the world, we're actually doing and that we are way more practitioner than theologian, right? So that's kind of, that's kind of our MO and, and kind of where the, the company, company all came from. Can you give me an example of what one of the portfolio companies is? 
Yeah. So I'll give you a few of them. Um, they have to kind of align with what our core competencies are. But like I said, what I just talked about there is kind of the foundation, but we've, we've looked for companies, even in like an M&A role, which uh, like on the acquisition side, um, we just had a, an acquisition last year of Online Marketing Institute, uh, which has been very much like a, uh, an enterprise level solution for marketing education. And we have, we, we, Digital Marketer is, you know, marketing education. It's the, the largest online community of marketers in the world. And it's still something pretty amazing to see that obviously people that are coming in to learn everything from execution plans on how to build a landing page all the way up to high level certifications that we do in email marketing or um, the customer value optimization, the customer value journey, um, those, those, those more intense six to eight hour certifications that people have to learn. But they're all they're all like, again, they have that practical vein. So Online Marketing Institute was a no-brainer for us because it is an enterprise solution, an enterprise marketing training um, that we now can go in and, and take some of that training and, and be able to you know, expand our portfolio with enterprise. And then we also can take some of our methodology and our training and, and also apply it to the platform to serve those uh, enterprise clients even better. And then we also have uh, War Room, which is one of our properties, which is a high-level mastermind uh, run by our founders, which is amazing to see. It's, it's Ryan Dice and Richard Linder and Roland Frazier and Perry Belcher. But all of those four guys, four times a year get together. You know, it's a, it's a high-ticket mastermind with a few hundred people in it worldwide. And they all come together and work on their businesses. And that's, that's one of the properties. So see, there is a commonality here. There's like, there's like a vein. They're all yeah. kind of very similar. Um, but some of the ones that are interesting is like they've, that have kind of fallen in our plate, right? Like we have our, our general manager of digital marketers names, Justin Rondo. He, he was our director of you know, basically he was like this guru on conversion, right? Like he was, he was incredible at, at helping people to understand how to convert online and what, what needs to happen there in order for people to get to your page and uh, be able to, to see higher conversion rates. Well, that actually translated over to him being a part of a, a company called True Conversion, which was a, basically like a hot jar kind of competitor. And we ended up through that relationship acquiring that company because the majority of the people that are in our community need really great tools and services that totally aligned with what we're teaching on the marketing side. So that was also like a no-brainer to acquire that company and its employees and, and be able to do that. So a lot of these are serving... Like we, we look at the companies we create and we look at the companies that we acquire and we say two things. We're going, okay, one, do we have people currently within our community that have this need? Right. Or two, are there people in our community that are like expressing a lot of interest and need in this area? And are we the people because it's closely associated with our core competencies that can provide that solution. And so we, we have literally will continue to be a portfolio company for years and years and have a holding company. And that's just been the model. And it's been great. It's like, you know, it's funny. And I'll say this, but we, we have people and I've been on rocket ship companies. I've been a part of Yelp and it's earlier stages, you know, left when it was in the billion dollar range. And I've seen a rocket ship model you know, like rocket ship period, singular. Uh, but then I've also seen this model that that was introduced and I like, which is a bunch of little rocket ships, right? A bunch of little rocket ships that are all going to the moon instead of one. And how do we create kind of these really successful um, little rocket ships? And then how do we, how do we, have everybody understand that like that's the model and that we're not looking for the major big everyone get on let's take 500 million dollars in funding and go you know to mars i think that what it, we found our niche in is that we want to create a lot of these really successful smaller companies that serve very specific niches um, because there's just a, a lot of demand and a lot of value there you mentioned you've been with digital marketer and the portfolio companies now for for four years 
Mm-hmm. I know your background is primarily sales, uh, sales-oriented yes. jobs and things like that. W- was that uh, what was the the position you were originally brought on to serve within Digital Marketer? Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, it's funny. Digital Marketer is a marketing company, and so I'm a sales guy. So basically, it was like oil and water. Um, but for <laughs> for some reason, I was friends with Ryan uh, when I was in my previous role when I was at Infusionsoft, and actually was you know, kind of their person. We had a a partnership between Infusionsoft and Digital Marketer and I was the one kind of brokering all of that. But one of the things that was interesting is like Ryan, they put out this need. They're like, you know what we need to do? We need to build a sales team. And I'll tell you, when I when I originally was sitting in my seat at Infusionsoft, I was reading that description and I was actually reading out loud to my wife and she's like, that's you. It's basically, the description was like a non-douchey salesperson. Like that was really what it was. It was like a non, uh, somebody has the experience that wants to, you know, kind of be in a stretch role to to be a director. The, the, the title was director of monetization, which was really like a director of sales. And it just it was inclusive of both both sales success and our kind of our customer support component that we had. And it was basically like, these are the people that are people facing, like customer facing that are people, not necessarily like our email or how they communicate through chat, et cetera. Like this is real, like human to human stuff. And so I have, I'm like, I'm passionate about that. And I wanted to be, I wanted to, to kind of, erase the stigma of traditional selling in, in this country, which is basically people who are thoughtlessly outreach, outreach, uh, you know, reaching out to people with, with little to no value that are just basically saying like, Hey, I'm here by my stuff. Like, Hey, my name's Mark. He's like, let's go back to my place. It's kind of like what the traditional sales model is. And I've been, I really wanted to kind of eradicate that and change it. And so when, when that, when they did pick me to come on, I had a really unique opportunity to essentially assemble a, a sales org or sales team that had the feel of what they've already accomplished on the marketing side of, of personalization and thoughtfulness and all those things that you know they were known for to be an extension. How do I build out a sales process and team and culture that fits not as an as an appendage of the company, but truly feels like it's a part of it. And so when I came in, that was like a that was a, an uphill battle, you know, being the sales guy in a in a world of marketers. But I learned quickly that I'm I'm much more you know, my DNA now really feels way more marketer, sales, sales marketer. I, I have kind of this new animal. Um, but when I started to hire people, I literally started to build salespeople out of our customer care, our customer support team, because I really wanted more of an empathetic salesperson who was thoughtful, who had a process that was a little bit more conversation driven than, and, and, and binary, not just like your normal, you know, I'm not walking down the street asking you for the time, but true binary conversation that was uh, explorative and, and, and really thoughtful. And so that was kind of what I came in and did. And that was three years ago. And then um, over the last year, I transitioned out because I went and stole one of my good friends from uh, Tableau to come in and be the head of sales for our, for digital marketer and for our holding companies. And yeah, that's been his, he's had the reins now for a year. He's doing a great job. You mentioned that marketing or marketers and sales are kind of like oil and water. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I feel like they're they're so codependent on one another in, in a way. I mean, maybe digital marketers culture was more of a, they, they primarily focused on the marketing component to sell, but um, right, right. How, how does that, I mean, I guess for, for, I look at those as very like connected, right? I mean, I guess maybe culturally, there may be a little bit of competition there. Um, But uh, how how was that separate when you first joined? And how has that changed? Yeah, you know, I think that there's, there's 
pre-existing stigmas, right? Some of the, the pre-existing kind of stereotypes is that they attract two different types of people. You know, the, the, on the marketing side, you're looking at like really data oriented, project based, technically, you know, if you're really going with the stigma or the stereotype and you keep going down that route, it's like introverted, whatever. And then if you go to the other stereotype, it was always like hyper-relational, outgoing, extroverted, you know, kind of accidental mess maker in a way, right? Like these people that are, that are out there in the world and can talk to a tree. But that was, that was the stereotype, which actually created this, this, this massive gap. And I, and I do think it is. Yes, you're right about one thing. Your sales and marketing are so together. But over the years, because of two things, one, salespeople would look back at marketing and go, okay, well, these leads, these leads suck and I have a quota, right? These leads aren't converting. They're not ready or they're not warm enough. Or they're just not good. I'm not getting any leads or I'm not, you know, they're looking at their marketing team and kind of pointing this, like shifting this blame for maybe whatever they're experiencing in yeah. their, in their, in their sales cycle. And on the other side of that, it was marketing looking back at sales and going, you can't close. Like, these are great. <laughs> I'm spending, I'm spending so much time and energy and effort into creating this for you so that I can pass this off to you from the awareness phase to the educate phase and the traditional funnel where it's like, now it's on you. You guys need to do this, right? Like I'm, I'm warming this up. I'm getting it ready for you. You need to have the conversation. You need to close them. Now, what happens there is that there, that, that kind of created that, uh, that friction. And I don't mind friction because sales and marketing might always have friction, but some friction actually creates problems and some creates fires and some, some of those fires can be good, you know? And I really believe that the, 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 the kind of this war that's happening between sales and marketing is less about them being not closing the gap between sales and marketing. But I think that the true solution is how do they cohabitate? How do you get people from sales and marketing to start seeing that they're actually, instead of being on two different teams, they're on one team and really they're on a revenue team because marketers have traditionally like in a digital market, they're very unique. Like marketing sold and created a lot of, of revenue for the company. They didn't need a sales team. They were doing direct response and they were killing it and they, they did a great job. Salespeople have traditionally been kind of always the, at the pinnacle of that revenue at most organizations. They just have. They've been the engine for revenue and marketing has always supported it. But at this case, it was unique in the sense of coming in and seeing like marketing is the, the epicenter of revenue at this company. It really is. Sales was coming in and being like, how do we amplify? How do we add into what are we missing? So like when Ryan and all the guys sat down, they must have sat there and said, I think we're missing a lot of revenue by not having you know, people here to monetize maybe the conversations that need more of a human touch. And what we realize is that we can actually now have more sophisticated products with maybe a more sophisticated sales process. And when that happens, you do, you do need to bring in pros on that side to be able to have more consultative sale that people aren't just going to a website, putting in their credit card and buying something. So yeah, the, the, that, that, that animosity really dissipated when people started to see the team we were building was more of a reflection of who we were as an organization than maybe your traditional, you know, coming in and kind of bulldozing their way to, to commission. And, yeah. and so that, that was, that was big for us. Yeah. For a lot of our audience, the, marketing and sales component of their business, oftentimes I find when we go in and, and do coaching and consulting with the agency owners is kind of merged into one beast uh, for better or for worse, uh, that you know, generating leads and selling is kind of, well, you know, most of the time it's the owner's responsibility, uh, but sometimes <laughs> they, try to, they try to hire a salesperson, right? And then they go, okay, go get business, right? And it's kind of like they're, they're asking for them to do both marketing and sales. And I think that you know, maybe it's part stereotype that marketing is more data project, introvert based, and sales is more outgoing, extroverted, relationship based. Sure. 
Yep. Uh, but I see a lot of agencies struggle with that. It's kind of this chicken or egg problem. You know, do they hire somebody to come in and do marketing? Do they hire somebody to come in and do sales? Because if, you know, they hire the salesperson, but then they don't get leads and the salesperson leaves in, you know, in, in, in six weeks or whatever, because they're like, well, I don't know how to get business, right? I can't go out. I'm not a lead gen guy, right? Right. So what, you know, taking, so because you're working at such a big organization and you do have some really big organizations in your, in your history, but you're also in contact with a lot of much smaller organizations, the companies that consume digital marketer products right. uh, and, and such. I mean, what, what are some of your, your insights or advice for the agency owner when it comes to how to how to juggle like the difference between marketing and sales and how to know which to focus on yeah that's a that's a complex answer you know we have um and part of the reason why i love this conversation and how you and i met is that we have a large obviously a large community of agencies within our community like in our overall global community and this is an interesting question because honestly it's like where do you focus on these two very important things and how do you weigh out like what's the do i go down this path and i need to know this or do i do i hire the salesperson the one thing i'm going to say this might even go in a different direction than you thought but if you're the best salesperson in your organization and you're the owner you are incredibly vulnerable, like period. You can't be the best salesperson in your organization, even though all of you say you are. Every single, every single agency owner I've ever heard, it's like, I can go out and win business. Great. That is amazing. That is amazing until you, you, you literally cannot be doing that in your business. Like, I honestly think that a lot of people, what happens is, is less about, should I focus on marketing or should I focus on sales? And sh- what you should be focused on is what you, what you should be focusing on as an agency owner. Like the, 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 what I've seen, the most successful agencies I've, I've watched have been able to take someone that's not them, get them to 80% of what you can do as an, as a, as an owner and be able to take yourself out of those roles, like, and be more of an overseer and more of an ideation person and, and understanding that you can now control the vision and where it goes. And I think a lot of people get so bogged down in doing either or doing the marketing or doing the sales or doing some of it themselves or out, you know, trying to get, they get so bogged down mentally about whether they should outsource that, that job and that responsibility to someone else. And I'll tell you the thing, it's the same thing that we deal with maybe on a way bigger scale is like, what is, what is providing the lifeblood of your business? Like, is it, is it traditionally, is it traditional sales? Is it marketing? Is it a combination of both? And I honestly believe that what you're not, you're not asking this question, Brent, but I'm kind of answering it where I really think that people need to be more introspective about what they're actually, what, what an owner really looks like. What's the job title of an agency owner. Um, and then maybe some of the early stages when you go in and you're consulting with people, like this is something that they own. And traditionally I would say that most of them are, they're responsible for bringing in business, whether that's a marketing or, or, or sales bucket that's kind of irrelevant. But what I love is seeing those kind of like second stage agencies, the ones that are kind of coming out of maybe that early season where everything is on the person and them trying to figure out where they now fit in their business and what they should be focusing on. And that feels like more of a, more of the mental constipation that most of the people run into. (laughs) And it's, it feels that way. It really feels like they're spending so much time with that instead of just saying, you know what, I need to create processes in my, my agency and my business that are so good that someone else can do them. That isn't me. 
And, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Like that's both on the marketing and the sales side. Most people literally can't hand anything off because everything lives in their brain. They are their process and they don't know how to get someone to at least 80% of what, how good they are in order to hand it off. And so they're just kind of stuck in this plateau of growth because they can't make that jump, that vital jump that they need to, where they take themselves out and make sure they're not the only person in the business that can do it. But I will say that, yeah, I honestly would look at whether it's the sales and the marketing bucket there, I think what in an early stage they're looking at is just being responsible for revenue because they got to keep the lights on. They got to make payroll. And when they try to make that really vital transition over, it's less about which one do I focus on more marketing or sales? And it's more about how do I, how do I duplicate my process and make sure that other people can do it? Because if, if I can't do that, I don't have longevity in my business. I just don't. Uh, if it's always going to be me, then it's going to ultimately go down with me. And I think that's where most people are leaving themselves incredibly vulnerable uh, in their agency. Mm. So, let's so say, here's the deal. Yeah. I don't think I answered your question, but, 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 but dang it, I, I, I feel I, like I, I got think, I think I heard marketing or sales. It depends. Maybe it was the, uh, you know. It's the most ambiguous definitive answer you're well, ever well, going to hear. I think the, the takeaway is whether it's marketing or sales, the more important maybe ultimate goal is not whether I'm doing this first or that first, but how do I generate revenue in my agency without me being the direct boots on the ground with that work. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because I, I, I honestly believe the majority of, of kind of stagnant growth or like that, that feeling that you're getting in your agency or your business where you're feeling like, man, things just aren't really going. I mean, I've got money coming in, I've got clients, I, I've, you know, it's, it's, but I'm not breaking through that next level. The majority of the roadblock is because you haven't created a process and you haven't thought about the, like you not being a part of it or bringing other people into it who are not you. And that, that is a really hard thing for most agencies. That's, that's a hard thing for people in general, because you, you lose a little bit of control when you bring other people in. And it's even more terrifying when you don't have a really good process for either. Um, so I think that's, that's a big one. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't the question, but I feel like that was a, that's where, that's where I wanted <laughs> so, to go. So, so tactically, um, yeah. you, you have, you have built sales team, sales teams, um, teams, yeah, yeah. teams, mm-hmm. uh, at multiple organizations. And that's something that you are clearly good at. Otherwise I don't think you would have made it this long at digital marketer around some of those Thanks. folks that are, are, uh, what I'd call, you know, not just a players, but superstars. They do keep uh, me humble. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when, when you are hiring a sales person, cause I think that's most of where our audience is. They're not hiring a sales yeah. team. They're doing exactly what you just said. They're trying to replicate themselves. And, uh, and I love that you put a bar of, you're not really trying to replicate out one-to-one, but like 80% would be a great target. Like if this person can oh. be 80% as good as you as sales, but they're doing it a hundred percent of their time, that that would yep. be uh, really effective yep. for you as a business. So, so let's imagine you're, you know, in, in a, in a, in a, uh, uh, alternative universe, right? You don't work a digital marketer, uh, you own an agency. How are you going out with super limited resources and hiring that first salesperson to take that role off of your plate? Oh man, you're going to, so it's so funny because it's in two stages. Like in the early stage when you don't have a ton of like capital to go out and, and hire a pro, the camp has always been, you know, how do you take somebody and you essentially develop them into 
that role. You take a junior person, you, you invest a tell a lot of time and energy, almost like an apprenticeship program, and you get them to where they need to be, right? You give them much, you're actually paying more for the investment and resource. You're saving in, in person costs, right? But you're putting more money of that, what you would have paid for a pro into investing in them to develop and grow into that role. Um, the scary part, the vulnerable part is that you're going to make all these investments. That person's going to be trained up. They're going to be a rock star, and then they leave, right? Like that, that's a tough one. Um, but if you don't train your people, they're going to leave anyway. So I think that in the early phase, phase one of a salesperson, you're looking for those kind of characteristics in a salesperson. You're looking for the tenacity. You're looking for the follow-up. You're looking for the drive. You're looking for the give a damn, right? You're looking for those things. And I think in the early phase, that is totally appropriate. Totally fine. Get those people. I took customer care people. I took customer support people who were, were driven and who wanted to learn. And I put them in a situation where they were getting leads and they can prove themselves out in 30 to 60 days. Like that is essentially like, hey, do you have the chops? Do you have the foundational, you know, elements that are going to at least give me the idea that you can grow into this position? And I think a lot of people are totally great in that. That's an early phase. If you're a little bit more sophisticated than that, and you have a more sophisticated process than, than somebody basically who's like an order taker. And what I mean by that is like, there's a big difference in sales. Like I think people sometimes really tout this kind of like, look, I closed all this money. I closed these deals. Look at my revenue I'm bringing in. But are you an order taker or, or are you a salesperson? Meaning like if I'm at the drive through at McDonald's, right? And I order a meal and you say, would you like fries with that? And I say, yes, that wasn't an upsell. Okay. Like that wasn't something you should go over around as a salesperson and say like, look at me, I'm amazing. Sophisticated salespeople in the more of a phase two hire is a pro. That's somebody who has had enough experience within the industry that demands a higher, higher pay, uh, more benefits, et cetera, because they're going to come in, they're going to learn the process or help you create it. And they are going to take that thing and run. And you're with, with less hands-on development or personal investment from you. And so I think that it just depends on those, those two phases. I, I look for... And here's the... Can I say this? I'm going to be very honest here because this is something that really kind of pisses me off with people and it, when they hire salespeople. I'm sorry, Brent. You're going to get a little bit of a soapbox, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> You've got the floor, Marcus. <laughs> Here's the problem. The problem is, is that the expectation for most organizations or family-owned or entrepreneurs when they bring somebody in, they treat them like they're family. They treat them like this person's going to be with me for the, the foreseeable future. So if they're a salesperson, just like anybody else, I'm going to take my time in the hiring process. I'm going to get them in here. I'm going to have them for a long time. I'm going to make all these investments. I'm going to make sure that they are with me and that I, my job is to keep them. No, the job is that they come in and they prove what they're worth because the expectation in sales is you either do it in 90 days or you move on. And if you set that expectation early into your business before you hire anybody and say, look, here's what we have to do. We have a 90 day trial period. I'm going to give you everything you're going to need. And we're going to check in every single week and every single month. And we're going to talk about where we're at and we're going to see exactly what this process looks like. And that's why it's so important to have that process as a business owner is because now you can set that expectation and say, Hey, most people make a 90 or, Hey, I'm expecting the salesperson that I need for my business to come in and do these things. And the results should yield this in 90 days, or it's a mutual understanding that by probably around 60 days, you know, if this thing's going to work out or not. And guess what? No hurt feelings, no emotion. The industry demands that people can come in land and expand and realize what the potential is, get their role, understand the process and go and at least be able to, to hit preliminary numbers in their ramp. 
And I always think it's really interesting that we have this mindset that we need to create and bring on family members. It's like in the sales world, the expectation for really good pros in your phase two hire is that they know they come in and they got to make a 90. They got to pay for themselves in the first few months of their job. And really good salespeople do. First nine, like literally three to six months, a really good salesperson pays for their salary. They really do. And I think that that's where like in phase one, hey, if you're a phase one, you want to go over here and you want to like really invest in people and bring more of a junior person in because that's what your business can afford. Totally. But understand that if you're a phase two business and you're ready to hire pros, the expectation is that they make, that they cover their costs and they, uh, you see that within the first, you know, 90 days of them being here. So I think that, yeah, I, I hope that that what I hope you heard here is that you have all of the authority and you have all, you have a huge green light to go hire junior people in your business if that's what your business can afford. And, but the expectation there is that you're investing in those people. It's way more hands on and that you're going to get a lot more of a bumpy start that eventually will pay off. And if you're, if you, if you're in a place where your business literally can't have that runway and doesn't have enough time, then you better hire a pro. But that pro comes with expectations because of what you're willing to give them. And that seat needs that, what that seat needs, not, not the person. You got to think about the seat. You got to think about, okay, I'm looking at that seat and the seat demands this person to be X, Y, and Z, not the face, the name that occupies it. And I think that's where we get really kind of like attached and people stay too long. But if you set those expectations early and you find those pros, you're going to see an exponential amount of growth. And if they don't, they go and somebody else can. There's so many people out there in the world to find that fit, especially if you set the expectation. And, and I, I appreciate the uh, the soapbox, uh, Marcus, because I think that that's, you know, treating uh, team members as family, I think. Well, I mean, I think there's treating people professionally, treating people with, with uh, integrity, with respect, with, you know, with, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of positive ways that you can treat your team in order to create a close knit and competitive culture. Uh, but also, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, you can't, you can't fire your family. Uh, and so yeah. I think that that creates a very, you know, we, like I hear a lot of entrepreneurs say like, Oh my, my team's my family. And then I kind of go, well, and then, and then you'll, you know, six months later, you'll hear that they're in like some crazy, you know, situation where they're leveraging themselves to keep the family together, right. Where they get themselves into some trouble. So I like, I like that you yeah, bring that out. Yeah, especially we're, we're with, just, we're just, we're just not right. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't fire my kids. Like they can suck and they can be <laughs> terrible and all these things, but guess what? I'm still going to be their dad. Like that, yeah. that's, a, that's family. I, I really believe that a lot of times people keep people around and, and inhibit their growth because they think of this quote unquote family atmosphere they're trying to create in their business. But all, all you're doing is actually uh, stifling and hurting someone who just needs to go like, because they aren't your family and most of them are going to be fine. Like you gotta mm. let them go. Um, and I think that's the part. It's like you, you actually are doing them a disservice by keeping them around and trying to treat them like family. When ultimately, if you really realize that you're stifling their growth by keeping them around, you would probably feel more inclined to letting them go. Um, especially because like that they aren't your kids, right? Like, like I just literally, I laugh so hard because in my mind, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old dog, two, two girls. And then they're very young. But in my mind, I think like the day they want a tattoo, right? Like that's where <laughs> I am as a dad. And I'm sitting around going like, even if they get it, they're still my kid. Like yeah. it does, I might be mad at them, um, but there's like, there's something there. And so, I, yeah, I think it's a tricky, slippery slope to think of creating that type of atmosphere and using that vernacular around the office. Like, yeah. hey, we're a family and all this stuff. It's like, oof, pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. Set the right expectations so that you, you, when somebody needs to go or when they voluntarily, like that's their next step, it doesn't feel like it's ruining your business. 
So I, I like that you've you've kind of broken this up in like phase one, phase two. I think that gives people a simple enough structure to kind of identify like, am I in phase one? Do I need to kind of get somebody who's less experienced, but maybe still has the future potential of developing into a great salesperson? Or are we an agency at the level that we just need to be hiring a pro? And I realized that this next question I'm going to ask you, I realized that every market is different. Every type of business is different. Every product is different. But is there some general, like you've hired a lot of salespeople, like what are we talking about in terms of ranges of expectations of compensation from somebody that's coming out of like a customer service or a account management role or something like that, that's going to move into this kind of sales role in phase one versus what kind of expectations should I have around well, I guess both compensation, but also revenue yep. generation potential, right? And what we're talking about here is, you know, again, agencies may be doing six figures, multiple six, early seven stage, seven figure stage yep. businesses. Yep. You know, if I bring on a salesperson, what should my general expectation be about how much I should compensate them in each of those phases? And what's the upside for them in terms of what they should be generating? Yeah, you know, there's so many different models. I'll tell you what, I, I'll just speak from my experience. That's the, the best thing I can do for people. I've seen so many different structures. There's one rule of thumb that I have. There's actually two. One, you don't mess with people's money. And the second one is they better be able to quickly calculate what they make. Like if you get too complex with all these different kinds of, you know, modeling and how people make commission and what their base salary is and how they got there, um, what you're going to end up doing is losing people on the complexity of feeling like they're never progressing rather than seeing it as something that it should be, which is encouraging them to, to, to produce into the output, right? You're, the, the, the structure should be enough and competitive enough where somebody is sitting around seeing it as like a reward system for their output. And that's really like, I'm trying to strip it all down. Like for me, simple is better. And I'm trying to strip that all down because a lot of people get too in their head or too complex or kickers and all stuff. If you were, if you're in this kind of like six figure to seven figure stage, what you're looking at for like a, a person, like let's say it's a phase one. I'd like to go back to that terminology because I think it's good. If you go back to somebody who's like a junior person, what we did was our customer care people started out at $17 an hour. This was three and a half years ago. And now it's increased to 19, et cetera, but it's still above the standard for that role, but it's competitive enough in our market because Austin is incredibly expensive. We're in Austin, Texas. and It's incredibly expensive. If you were in San Francisco, I would expect that to be a little bit better. But what we did was we took that normal hourly rate and then we did a three, five, seven on it, which means a 3%, 5%, 7% of what you kill based on where you are and how you progress. So I used to take people that were raw, that didn't know anything about sales, didn't have a sales experience, had multiple customer facing roles. Cause I thought that was important. I even took bartenders and other people that were in the hospitality space who all, all those people can translate, can transition really well when you have a good process. And that's why I said it before. If you're a phase one person, but you don't have a good process and you hire in a junior person, you're gonna that's gonna blow up in your face because they have to have a process to follow. They have to have a script to, to follow. They have to have daily actions and KPIs that are measurable in order for you to understand benchmarks of success. But $17 an hour, I know it sounds really funny, but 17 bucks an hour was what it was. And I said, congratulations. You're basically now eligible for commission. So whatever you actually close, when we, we're going to drive you conversations. And if you monetize based on these scripts, you're going to get 3% of what you close. And it was super simple. I was like, guess what? Like nothing's really changing right now. You made $17, but now you're making a percentage of what you sell. And every conversation you have is important because you make 3% of it. Then I moved into saying, okay, well now you've actually gotten, you've done this. You've hit these milestones that we set, whatever those are, because obviously it's so different per organization, but here are the milestones you needed to hit within the first 90 days. And well, I'm going to bump that to 
Okay. So 5% now is what you get. Nothing changed on the base. Nothing did there, but here's the next milestone. Here's the next thing you need to hit. Here's the next thing you have to do within the first 12 months of your employment here or the first nine months or whatever you want to set. And after they hit that next milestone, it's a graduation to 7% and a little bit of an increase in your base. So now you're going from 17 to 19 and making 7% of what you sell because the conversation is a little bit different. My expectation is higher of you. My quota has increased along the way at every milestone that we've reached together. And guess what? The next thing is that you officially graduate to be a full-fledged salesperson. And I'm going to give you a base salary of of 40 grand, let's call it right now. We're not talking in hours. We're talking to here's your base salary and I'm going to give you 10% of what you close. And here's the deal. The crazy part is that is a model that we created out of thin air, but it's one that kept it incredibly motivated. And what happened was anybody who got to 10% was, was uh, literally took about 12 months to, to 14 months to get them there. But that was perfect because now we had a, a, a quote unquote, kind of like homegrown salesperson who knew, knows all about our business. And the reason why it was also really important they came from customer care is they're having conversations about our product every single day, hundreds and hundreds of conversations, dealing with tickets, dealing with people who are flaky follow up, like they had to resolve these issues. And so when they came into the sales role, they were very familiar with the product. And you know, it's really funny. We actually put our salespeople through customer care training. Like even the pros that come in, they have to sit in customer care for almost, I think it's like three weeks now, maybe it's changed, but they go through there and they literally will write tickets and hear the, hear the concerns and hear the refund requests and hear the cancellation requests so that they can be more acclimated to that when they get into their kind of like sales seat. The other one is like, and by the way, I hope that answers your question. That's more of like a junior kind of the way we set it up on the more sophisticated side. You're learning that there are people like you have a specific need in your business that requires, there's an expectation. Like if you have an enterprise salesperson and they're any good, right? <laughs> if they're, if they're an outbound, like they, they, they get some leads, but, but they're really out there hunting. They want to hunt and kill and they want the massive amount of impact for what they bring home. So I know a lot of really huge enterprise salespeople who deal with the big, big, humongous, multi-billion dollar conglomerate sales. And they have no base salary, zero, because they're on a hundred percent commission and they want those huge pops that they get for it because they have a they have a massive amount of risk, but they want the massive, the, the most reward that they can get. So a lot of people will sit with that structure and some of the best salespeople will literally forfeit their base salary because they don't need it. They're great. <laughs> they get it. Some of the, like they have four or five huge deals a year that pay for everything. They're good. But I would say that we're most six figure to seven figure folks, when they're talking about their salespeople, are living right in the middle of that. They're not the enterprise salesperson expectation because if, even if you don't take a base salary, you're looking at 75, maybe like 70 to 80 grand base plus a, a you know, 10% pop or 10% commission on what they bring home. And sometimes that commission goes up as their base salary goes down. Where I think people need to really focus is saying, what's a livable wage? What is a livable wage that, that essentially pays most of their bills because your salespeople, they, they do, they do like the risk because most salespeople are, are in it to make money. They really are. Most salespeople who are anything worth their value are interested in making money and they see it as a way of keeping score and they're competitive and they want that and they have specific goals and they, they, it's not just about making money. There's a lot of things that they want in their lives. And so you can line those things up, but if they have a livable wage, they're not worried about you know, the rent or the bills getting paid. And so for us, we started out our kind of six, like that six figure intermediate salesperson that has at least had one sales job before they came in. 
at least had some sales experience was we're starting out at 45 to 50 K depending on how, you know, how much experience they had. And then from there, they were still in that same three, five, seven, 10, because for me, it was like, they need to graduate through and earn their commission percentages as they show that they can do that. And sometimes that's really great. That's a ramp period for them. And it gives them a little bit more time, but it also allows us not to just throw down a lot of money on an investment that might not make. Like I told you, 90 days was really important for me. So 90 days is like, you're learning the product. You're, you're in a bunch of different meetings. You're going through customer care. You're doing all these things. So you have a livable wage to do that so that you're not, you know, homeless, but at the same time, you earn your way through. And it, I think it makes it really amazing to see people graduate through those phases. And it's also just a moment of pride for them too, to see that they can make it to this next level. And when you get to that 10% at 50K base, the next graduated level is the most complex conversation you could have, which is that kind of like more elaborate complex, or you stay there for a long time, you get, you get more percentage of what you sell. It's just, I just think that I've always really leaned toward Simplicity, taking care of your people, simplicity, graduating levels through their commission process so that you're not overextending or overpaying, but you're really giving people an opportunity to prove their worth in your organization. And then the other part that I think is kind of nice, and I'm going to be, maybe this is another soapbox moment. I won't get as, as emotional, Brent, but people come into your organization, some of them are coming with an expectation that there's going to be some kind of bridge or some kind of like ramp period. And, and that gets complex as well. Like take care of them for a while while they're learning. Take care of them. Give them a livable wage while they're learning. And then give them a small percentage of commission while they're learning until they graduate to a more appropriate commission and they, they are a more valuable asset to your business. So I hope that they, that wasn't super confusing, but like I, I've, I've tried, I've seen so many different processes and so many different pay scales and so many different commission structures that when I got to this organization, I was very adamant about making it very easy. One, don't mess with anybody's money. And two, make it simple so that they can calculate it themselves, or you're going to get to the place where your reps are unmotivated because they don't feel like they're moving or progressing. And you're getting frustrated because you're probably overpaying them while they're developing or they, you feel like they haven't earned it or you're not sure if they're going to make. And so you're, you're feeling like you're spinning your wheels there when you're not getting the results that you're looking for. So I think the commission structure and the, the money structure is super important, even though I know this was like the longest I've talked, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's, it feels yeah. important to me. Yeah. That's awesome. Marcus, this has been uh, super fascinating. I think you've taken me through really those core questions I wanted at the tactical level around sales. I think the sales sure. structure side, I love the phase one, phase two. And I also, it's been great to kind of deep dive around the difference between marketing and sales and your history with both Digital Marketer and, and your other companies. So this has been super fascinating. Are you ready for Thanks. our lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. I love lightning rounds. All right. That's awesome. uh, what is the best advice you've ever received? Oh, the best advice I've ever received is, um, man, that's hard. Okay. Lightning round. I need to be faster. All right. Yeah. So best, best, best advice I've ever received was from my grandfather, uh, who was a third grade education, huge business that he built, self-segregated black guy in the South, uh, from many years ago, his parents were slaves. The best thing he said is that no one dictates your future, but you. And it was an empowering moment for me because he could have let segregation, could have let any of those things happen. But he said that you always have a choice. You're either a victim or you're moving forward. And he said, don't ever be that. Don't ever let other people or your situation and hold you back from what you feel like you're capable of. Never give yourself that out. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Knowing what I'm good at. 
um, and what I'm not. So doubling down on the things that I'm great at and uh, understanding that I'm never going to make my bed in the morning. Can you share an internet resource, a tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? Uh, I use Buffer every day. It schedules every single social media post because I believe content is like a massive piece of any successful uh, salesperson, business owner, etc. And so I I have ideas all the time and I put them in there and I schedule them out because I'll never have the time to actually post. So Buffer is a huge time saver for me. And what book would you recommend? Uh, Art of War. Please look that book up. It'll take you about one day to read. Uh, Maybe if you're smarter than me, it'll take you like three hours. But The Art of War, there's actually a three-part series in that book. And obviously Sun Tzu is great, but then there's uh, some kind of branch offs of that, especially if you're kind of a business owner, it's going to give you, it's going to, it's going to feel motivated. Chinese military uh, treaties don't necessarily get my, get my, uh, you know, blow my skirt up in any way, but this is going to be a tactical book that you're going to look at and be like, wow, this, this, this person was a genius. And there's a lot more that goes into the process and planning than I, than I anticipated. Awesome. Well, we will link out to The Art of War as well as Buffer and lots of other key takeaways and nuggets from this episode at our show notes for uh, Marcus's interview at yougurus.com forward slash podcasts. Just click on Marcus's episode and it'll take you right to our show notes at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Marcus, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, I mean, we're at, you know, I think Digital Marketer is a great place, uh, www.digitalmarketer.com. I'm also highly active on LinkedIn, obviously, um, being being so involved there. But I'm just Marcus Murphy on LinkedIn. I'll be the first one. I know that sounds like a weird flex, but it really is. Maybe there's not a, there's not a lot of <laughs> Marcus Murphy's on there, so I am usually <laughs> the first one. Yeah, so please, I'd love to connect with you and, and stay in touch. Awesome. We will link out to Digital Marketer for sure, as well as your social media profiles. We'll put LinkedIn up there first for you as well. So if you guys need to get those links, if you're on the road or on a run or like me on a bike ride, just check it out at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. We'll have all those goodies organized for you so you can find out more information from Marcus. And uh, I'm sure if you are posting the buffer all time, man, there's probably lots of great sales nuggets in there. So if you guys are looking to get more info from Marcus on that, just follow him on social and I'm sure you'll get plenty of, of opportunity there. Marcus, thank you so much for stopping by the program today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now, it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge is blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started.
Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show.